Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark today, the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. While you're finding that, I just wanted to share that I am really excited for us to experience this sabbatical season together. Last week, we started off, it was phenomenal to have City on a Hill with us. I've had several of you ask if we can have them come back again next year. They were a lot of fun to have and did a great job helping us worship yesterday. Of course, you've also heard that we have many special speakers scheduled uh, to come in over the course of the summer. I'm really excited to hear from them. I'm excited for you to hear them. I promise that the special speakers will start soon. Uh, Today you just get me, so the special speakers will start in the next couple weeks. But I really believe that you're going to love the worship services that we have planned for you over the next couple of months. Our theme for this summer is Let the Adventure Begin. And just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeff left us with a question. And it's a question that we hope shapes our summer here at Cross Community. The question was, who will you invite to come with you? Who will you invite to come with you? At Cross Community, we believe that the entire Christian journey, this adventure that we're all on, is one that is intended to be walked together. We don't do life on our own. But I would guess that the majority of us probably didn't begin our Christian journey on our own either. Someone most likely invited you to join them on the adventure to follow Jesus. Maybe that person was a close friend or a co-worker who came alongside you in a difficult time in life and showed the love and grace of Jesus to you. Maybe that person was a parent who introduced you to Jesus at a young age. Or maybe that person invited you randomly to church on a Sunday morning, and that's why you're here with us in a pew today. But I would guess for the majority of us, someone at some point invited us to join them on a journey toward Jesus. We almost certainly didn't get where we are on our own. And so our hope is that over these next couple of months, through a variety of different speakers, we will go on a journey together, an adventure, if you will, to explore what it will look like for us to be a community of faith that is actively inviting others that passionately seeks to help people find and follow Jesus. That is who we want to be at Cross Community Church. And so this summer we're going to lean into the scriptures. We're going to take a look at the Bible stories and what they have to tell us about this mission, what it would look like for us to invite others to join us on this journey. So I'm excited to begin that adventure with you today. And so if you're able, if you're here in the building with us, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read. From Mark chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. So if it sounds a little bit different, that's why. But this is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. 
While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowds. They dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is always, Thanks be to God. So I love a good to-do list, okay? I always have a list in my phone or on my desk of things that I'm hoping to accomplish for work. And then there's usually a parallel list of things that I'm hoping to accomplish uh, personally as well, right? And some of you are also list people. Let me explain. You'll understand what that means here a little bit more. Um, Others of you... You live with a freedom that only I can imagine and envy. You do things somehow without writing them down. You accomplish and live life without a list. It's amazing. But for me, I need those lists. It's how I stay organized. And there's a little bit of a sense of accomplishment when you check something off the list. It can actually be kind of frustrating for me. I don't know if I'm the only crazy person, but if I accomplish something and I don't put it on the list before I accomplish it, it robs me of that sense of of, of accomplishment if I can't check it off the list, right? So some of you are nodding because you're as crazy as I am. Others of you think we're totally nuts. But most days I begin with a list of things that I want to get done that day. And most days I usually accomplish the majority of things that I have on my list. But a few weeks ago, I had a day when I did not accomplish very many things from the list. I'm not actually sure that I accomplished a single thing that I set out to accomplish that day. It was just one of those days filled with interruptions. And I think we've probably all had those days. But this is one of those days where I'd sit down, and as soon as I'd begin to start something, my phone would ring, or I'd get an email that I needed to respond to, or something else would come up. And all the interruptions were relatively important and urgent, But they weren't as important as the to-do list that I had set out to accomplish that day, right? At least that's how I was feeling about it. But after a long day of those disruptions, I looked at my clock at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I closed my office door, determined that that last hour of the day was going to be super productive. I was going to knock out a few things from that list before calling it a day. And I'm not kidding you. As soon as I sat down at my desk and I go to open my computer, there's a knock at my door. Before I can stand up from my desk, there's another knock at my door. When I get to the door, as I'm going to turn the handle, there's another knock at my door. I open the door, and there stands two of our We Care kids, eight and nine years old, and they inform me that they have questions for me. They have questions for me about God. So you can't turn away kids who have questions about God, right? So they sat down in my office, and we talked for 45 minutes about their questions. They asked about the origin of God, 
Where did God come from? Did someone create God? How can God be everywhere at the same time? Are heaven and hell real? And what are they like? These are like philosophers that like came to my office this day. They had some really good questions. They actually asked me if they could borrow a Bible on their way out. Uh, it was a really awesome conversation. And I made them come back. They made them promise that they would come back with more questions as, as they came uh, to them. And they've come back a couple times since. It's been really cool uh, just to hear some young people with really deep, meaningful questions about who God is. But when they left my office that day, it was about 5 o'clock. And I had accomplished almost nothing from that to-do list that I set out for that morning. But it was okay. That was a great day, and that was exactly how I was supposed to spend my time that day. The one thing that God has taught me and that he's continued to remind me again and again, because I forget, is that in ministry and in life, people are always more important than our to-do lists. But for most of us, We hate interruptions. We have a set of things that we want to accomplish. We have plans that we've put together. Whether that's related to work or to our personal plans, it really bothers us if those plans get disrupted. And some of the problem is that we're just really busy, right? Our schedules are so full, we we can't afford to add anything else. We can't afford to get off track, or at least that's how we feel about it, right? We don't feel like we can add anything else. But I'm becoming more and more convinced that interruptions and disruptions are an essential part of being a Christian and following Jesus. That God is always surprising us with opportunities to set aside our agenda and embrace opportunities that God has for us. The grace that He's put not only in our life, but in the lives of the people around us. And so this morning, our story... Our story is about an interruption. It's a great interruption, but it causes all kinds of chaos. In our story, Jesus has just returned to Capernaum after traveling and teaching. And we're told in the verses leading up to what we read this morning that as Jesus was traveling, he healed many people. And so word is beginning to spread about this Jesus character. There are rumors flying around that he preaches about a new kingdom, that he heals people. And there are people even speculating that he's come to overthrow Rome and provide liberation for his people. And so you can imagine with rumors like that going around, it didn't take long for word to get out that Jesus was back home and for crowds to begin to form to meet him. Now, the average home in Capernaum probably accommodated about 15 people. Okay, So these were not large houses, so it would not have taken long for them to fill and overflow out into the street. So this crowd is growing, they're pressing in to try to hear Jesus, and this is where we get our interruption. As Jesus is preaching, four men arrive, carrying their paralyzed friend on a mat. And we're really not told a lot about this man, but we know that he's unable to walk. But that's just about all we're told in the story. But just like everybody else in the crowd that day, we can assume that this man is set on meeting Jesus, hearing Jesus, and maybe, maybe if he's lucky, even being healed this day. But there's a little problem. By the time they arrive at the house, the crowd had gathered and was so large that there was no way that anyone was going to get anywhere near to Jesus, especially a group of five men, one of which is being carried while laying down. This was just not going to happen for them that day. There was just too many people. They were too far away. 
And they probably should have just accepted that and settled in and tried to listen from a distance like everybody else. But these men were desperate for their friend to find Jesus. And so they come up with a plan and a solution, and it's a little bit unconventional. We're told that they dug a hole through the roof of the house right above where Jesus was standing, right above Jesus' head. And then they lower the man on his mat through the roof in Jesus' presence. Now, homes were a little bit different in the world that Jesus lived in, and the roofs on these houses were a little bit different than the roofs on our homes. And Michael has a picture for us this morning I want to put up here for us. Most of the houses would have had an outdoor staircase, like you see here, that would have allowed them to easily access the roof. I kind of always assumed in this story that these men would have had to work really hard to get up to the roof. Like, that would have been part of the struggle. But they probably just, like, walked up the stairs. It probably wasn't that difficult. But the roof was probably made of branches and twigs and grasses that was then covered in mud. So it would have been sturdy enough to walk on, but very different than a roof that you and I would probably think of in our our day and age. So the Bible says that they dug through the roof, which makes a lot of sense because half of the roof was made of mud and dirt. So this would not have been a neat process. Debris would have been falling in on Jesus and the others in the home. This was not a subtle entrance at all, okay? It would have been chaotic and disruptive and destructive and probably a little bit unsettling for the people who had gathered inside the home. The roof starts caving in. This is not normal, okay? So talk about an interruption. Jesus is teaching. He's doing important work, right? This is what he's here to do. He's an important figure. This was a very bold and risky move for them to make. Think about it. This man and his friends, they create all this drama. They show up with their problems and their expectations, and they create a mess and destroy someone's home, and they disrupt the greatest teacher of all time. And so how Jesus responds is incredible and beautiful, and it tells us a lot about who Jesus is and what our God is like. Jesus welcomes the interruption. He doesn't rebuke the men. He doesn't tell them it's not a good time. He doesn't see the gaping hole in the roof that now needs to be repaired. He sees their faith. And he offers forgiveness to this man. And I want to pause right here for just a couple of minutes because I have some questions. Okay? The teachers of the law also have a question. We'll get to their question in just a second. But I want to know what the paralytic man is thinking. I want to know what's going through his head at this point in the story. And I also want to know what his friends are thinking. Because as awesome as it is that Jesus forgives this man's sins, he's clearly there to be healed, right? This man wants to walk. His friends bring their paralyzed friend all this way, and Jesus forgives his sins. I can kind of picture the four friends on top of the house, like looking down into the house, kind of frustrated, wondering like if Jesus misunderstood their intent. Why would Jesus lead with forgiveness? It was clear the man wanted to be healed. But the teachers of the law have their question too, and it takes this a step further. They want to know why Jesus feels he can forgive sins at all. Verse 6 says, some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. 
Only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. It's ironic, right? Almost humorous given who they're talking to and who Jesus was. But they say they're offended because only God can forgive sins. But there's more to it than that. There's more going on here. The priests forgave sins on God's authority. Jesus is doing what normally only they can do. The real reason they're upset is because Jesus is stepping on their toes. So why would Jesus begin with forgiveness? And why would Jesus seemingly so intentionally step on their toes? These religious leaders can complain that they're the ones with the authority to forgive sins, but the reality is that they never would have offered forgiveness to the man in our story. In the world that Jesus lived in, many people believed that sin and illness went together. Unfortunately, we still see some people in our world that think this way, right? They see physical illness or disease or disability as somehow connected to a person's spiritual health. That at some point that person, well, they must have sinned and now this illness that they have or this condition that they carry is a consequence or a punishment for those actions. Can I clearly say this morning that this is really bad theology, okay? This was bad theology then, it's bad theology now. It's not who we believe our God to be. It's not how God works. But the religious leaders would have seen this man's disability as a symptom of his sin. And so as, un, as long as he is unable to walk, they would have seen him un, as unfit for the forgiveness of God. So they lack the power to heal him, and they use the power that they do have to withhold the forgiveness of God from him and from others like him. So they complain that the wrong person has granted this man forgiveness. But the real issue here is that Jesus has stepped on their toes and forgiven someone that they view as too far gone to receive forgiveness. So Jesus rejects this. He throws it out and he calls them on it. In verse 8 it says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking and he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. This story this morning is an incredible reminder that our Christian journey is one that begins with forgiveness and continues with healing. God meets us where we are. He freely offers us His forgiveness. And then He continues to give us His grace as He heals the things in us that are broken. And by healing a man that was seen as far from redemption, Jesus proved that in this kingdom of God that he came to announce, no one is excluded from the healing forgiveness that he offers. That's good news. It was good news for the man. It's good news still for us today. But this morning, I'm convinced that this story is just as much about these four friends of the man as it is about the man himself. And I honestly can't help but wonder, what if the man's friends hadn't been so determined? What if they just settled into the crowd that day and they said, sorry, this is as close as we can get. We did our best, but 
we just can't get you any closer to Jesus. What if that had happened? But it didn't. These men were desperate for their friend's life to be changed. There's something really interesting in verse 5. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, this morning, we don't have a Greek word, okay? I know that Pastor Jeff has been gone for two weeks, and you already don't have a Greek word. You're disappointed, okay? But I do want to invite you to say this with me this morning, okay? So, whose faith did Jesus see? Okay, we're going to do it together, okay? One, two, three, their faith. Okay, one more time. One, two, three, their faith. Okay? Throughout the Gospels, it seems like Jesus is constantly healing someone because of the faith that they have in him. But our story today is a little bit different. Jesus sees their faith. He sees the collective, the faith of the friends, and it causes Jesus to respond. And their faith is absolutely the reason that the man met Jesus that day. Without the faith that they had motivating them, they would have saved themselves the trouble of pushing through a crowd getting on a roof, digging through that roof, and literally dropping in on Jesus. People don't do that, okay? That's a weird thing to do. Unless you're absolutely desperate and you believe it's the only way. They believed that they had to carry their friend all the way to Jesus. And so Jesus sees the faith of the friends and he responds with forgiveness and with healing. So this story is good news for the paralyzed man, the formerly paralyzed man. But it's also a story that never happens if it isn't for the friends who were willing to carry their friend to Jesus. It's a story that changed everything for this man, but it's a story that I believe this morning can also change things for us too, as individuals, but also as a church community. And so I want to ask us a couple questions this morning. The first question I want to ask you is, who carried you to Jesus? The man in our story had these four friends. That if not for them literally carrying him, he probably never would have met Jesus. So who did God use in your life? Who are the people who invested in you along the way? Who prayed for you? Who showed up for you in the times that you needed it most? Who kept believing in you when nobody else did? Maybe when you didn't believe in yourself. Who carried you to Jesus? Maybe for you there was a close friend or a mentor. Maybe a relative who introduced you to Jesus. Maybe it was when you were younger. Maybe you had a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader. Maybe you had a pastor or a youth leader who was influential in your life, and they made sure you had every opportunity to find Jesus and know Jesus. So this morning, I simply want to invite you to remember that person. Remember those people and celebrate the way that God used them in your spiritual story. And be thankful that somebody took the time to carry you toward Jesus. But then I also want to encourage us to embrace the challenge in this story and ask ourselves, could we be that person to someone else? So the second question I want to ask is, who will you carry to Jesus? Who will you carry 
to Jesus. Of course we know it's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's always working in people's hearts and lives. He's the one who's drawing people and inviting people. It's Jesus who forgives. It's Jesus who who heals. It's not about us. But we know that it's God who uses people in the process. And He's inviting us to be a part of His work to bring forgiveness and healing to the world. So who will you carry to Jesus? Maybe for you there's someone that comes to mind and you're like, man, I would love to see this person come to Jesus. I would love to see them give their heart to the Lord. But if I'm being honest, I just don't know that it's going to happen. It's hard for you to imagine that person coming to follow Christ. But this morning, our passage reminds us that the kingdom of God comes with all kinds of optimism, right? Because there's no barrier or obstacle that can stand in the way of the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. The man and his friends had every reason to assume that he would never get to Jesus, that he would never be healed. There were just too many things in the way. They were too far away. But God has a tendency to show up in ways that surprise us and to do more than we can even imagine. So maybe that person who seems out of reach is exactly who God may ask you to carry toward Jesus. What I love about our story is it's overwhelmingly clear that carrying people to Jesus is going to be messy. Sometimes it's going to be really hard. This is difficult work, right? It's going to mean interruptions. It's going to mean inconveniences. And we hate those. We hate interruptions. We hate changing our plans. But Jesus is inviting us to participate in the messy work of carrying people to Jesus no matter what that costs us. Our story tells us that the crowd is gathered around the home where Jesus is staying. Scholars are divided on who the home actually belongs to. Some people think that this could be Simon Peter's house or Andrew's house or another one of Jesus' followers. But many scholars believe that there is a good chance that this was Jesus' own home. And that it was Jesus himself who was the unlucky homeowner who had his roof ruined that day. So there's no inconvenience that's going to stop the man's friends from helping him find forgiveness and healing that day. And despite the interruption, the disruption, the mess, and even the destruction of property, there was nothing that was going to keep Jesus from giving it to him. So how far, church, are we willing to go to see people come to know and follow Jesus? And what is it going to take? Switching gears a little bit this morning. I have some pictures of my son, Theo. (laughs) I think. There he is. Sweet. He's really cute, right? He's also totally crazy. On Friday night, we were playing in the backyard. He got stung by a bee. Never knew it. He just, we had to pull this finger out of his back. We, we think he's human, but we're still trying to decide if, if he is. But a few weeks ago, Theo had a really bad cough. And it sounded awful, right? Like, keeping him up at night wasn't a lot of fun for his parents. But one morning, a few days into this cough, he was sitting in the living room, he's watching TV, and from the kitchen we could kind of hear him start to kick up into another really bad coughing fit. And before we know it, he's gotten up, he's walked past us through the kitchen, coughing the whole time. He gets to the back door and starts putting on his shoes. 
And so Morgan and I, of course, like ask him, like, Theo, like, where are you going, buddy? And so in broken toddler talk, between his coughs, he declares, I go, doctor. <laughs> he had had enough. He knew he wasn't getting better on his own, or at least fast enough, right? It was pretty cute, and it was funny, but my two-and-a-half-year-old son understood something. Healing happens in hospitals, Generally, people know if they go to a hospital that there are going to be people there who will help them, who will care for them, and who will help them get better. And so my question for us to wrestle with this morning is, do people think about the church like that? Do people think that the church is a place where they can go to seek healing and not only find it, but also be met with forgiveness and with grace? Barna Research Group did a study a few years ago analyzing faith and culture. And as a part of that study Barna did, they pulled a large group of outsiders, people who have no connection to Christian faith, and they asked them to respond to this statement. Christian churches consistently show love for others. Only 20% of people who were outsiders to the church said that they thought that that statement was true. The question was not, is the church a place that approves of everyone's actions? The question was simply, is the church a place where all are loved? The answer to that question has to be yes. Jesus says we are to be known by our love. And yet only 20% of those who consider themselves outsiders to faith perceive the church in that way. People know that when they go to a hospital, there will be people there who will help them, care for them, and help them heal. Do people know the church as a place that they can find forgiveness and healing? This is who we should be. This is our calling as a church. St. John Chrysostom said, the church is a hospital. The church is a hospital and not a courtroom for souls. She does not condemn on behalf of sins, but grants remission of sins. St. Augustine of Hippo also said, The church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. So as the church, we are called to be people who are doing for the world what Jesus was for the man in our story finding ways to freely offer healing and forgiveness. Church, what if we became known for that? What if the church modeled forgiveness and healing so well that that is our reputation for the world to see? My prayer for us this morning is that as we strive to be a church that is inviting others to join us on this journey toward Jesus, we would follow the example of Christ we would lead with forgiveness and with the grace of God. And that we would even allow ourselves to be interrupted and disrupted so that we can be present to participate in the healing work of God in our world. Are we ready to be that kind of healing community? Will we ask God to help us be that kind of community that carries people to Jesus, that joins in when things are messy and is determined to help others find and follow the Jesus that we know and that we love. Who will we carry to Jesus? Would you stand with me?
me this morning as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the good news that your story declares to us today, that you have the power to forgive sins, and that you also have the power to heal what is broken in our lives. And that no one, God, is excluded from your grace. This morning I'm thankful for the people who allow themselves to be interrupted so that I had every opportunity to know you. And so now we pray, God, that you would help us to have hearts and minds that are set on helping people find and follow you. We ask that you would give us the faith of the four friends to do whatever it takes to carry our friends toward you and help us to remember that you've placed us in this world to be your healing presence, God. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your redemption story. May our world come to know us by our love. It's in your name I pray all these things. Amen. Let me send you with this blessing as you go. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for joining us online. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.